Hi, my name is Pete Scazzaro. I want to welcome you today to the Emotionally Healthy Leader Podcast. Today's topic is Leadership Blind Spots, Part 1, Giving Away What You Don't Possess. Giving Away What You Don't Possess. Now, before we get into today's topic, I want to tell you something that I believe will help you and your team experience you know, deep transformation. This year, we're offering uh, three unique one-day experiences for leaders uh, in different parts of the country. It's one thing to read about it and hear about a healthy church culture in a book or a podcast. It's another thing to experience yourself. So we created these one-day leadership experiences, a chance for you to taste it and experience uh, some transformation firsthand. So uh, not only will Jerry and I be there in person, but some other folks, experienced leaders who are living this stuff out. And you'll walk away with some, you'll walk away with some new tools and, and hopefully a new vision. So we're doing three one days, one in Nashville, uh, which is in the first week of November. And uh, I want to encourage you, if you live anywhere in that Nashville area, to come to that. Uh, and then we're doing one at, uh, in New York City in May, and then a, another one uh, in California in June. You can go to our website at emotionallyhealthy.org slash one day to find out about one of those events near you. That's emotionallyhealthy.org slash one day. So you got Nashville, New York, and Southern California. So let's dig into today's topic, which is leadership blind spot number one. It's rightly been said that if you had an hour to solve a problem, uh, spend 55 minutes thinking about the problem, uh, determining what is it, and then five minutes for the solution. In other words, without clearly identifying the roots of a problem, we end up offering inadequate or perhaps even wrong quick fix solutions. And so we can work harder, do new programs, or even expand our, our mission. But without really getting at what are some core issues in our uh, lack of developing, I'd say, deeply transformed leaders and disciples, uh, we're not going to get a solution. So today's church, the problem is we have uh, a church, evangelical church, that's shallow, thin, and culturally the same as the wider culture around us. Uh, and so my, our, what we want to get to is deep, thick, and different uh, so, you know, again, shallow is the opposite of deep. So our, our people uh, tend to be, you know, consumer oriented. Jesus, give me a better life. He fits into me having a wonderful family and personal life and future. We want to create churches that are friendlier than Disney, etc. cetera. Uh, but we're really going after deep, which is people being deeply changed by Jesus, uh, by the weight of God, the glory of God, which means heavy and weight. Uh, their whole lives being one of them following Jesus, formation. Uh, Christ is the center of my life, not a periphery addition to it. Uh, so developing deeply formed people. And then we're, we're thick churches in terms of thick, in terms of uh, we're surrendering our, our wills to his will. We're our, our center of our lives, our, our worship. We're relationally thick. In other words, you know, it's not how are you. I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. Everything's good. Kind of this kind of superficial uh, pretend community that's not actually that different than the values of the world and uh, how people relate outside, but we're actually, you know, got a depth to us. And and then all, then finally, we're also different culturally. We're, we have a new culture, a new way of life. We're not doing Western culture in our churches. We're doing Jesus. You know, we yesterday we were with a, a group of um, uh, you know, pastors and leaders, and we were looking, we were doing a journey through the wall that uh, in Genesis 22 and looking at Abraham and him, him being uh, told by God to sacrifice his son Isaac. And so we got into the wall of dark nights uh, of the soul, John of the Cross. And from that discipleship course material, it was so interesting. 
uh, how it was such a clash for everyone in the room. It's so un-American, this idea of dark nights, of following the crucified Jesus. This is not about success or popularity or power or even avoiding suffering and pain uh, at all costs. This is about a, a whole other way of life, of uh, surrender of my will to God's will. And uh, boy, what a different culture that is than uh, our you know Western Americanized culture that surrounds us. So I've identified four blind spots that in my thinking that I believe are lodged deeply in our church cultures and leadership and that are really preventing us from developing mature, deeply changed people. And uh, so uh, let's go, today is number one, which is this, our, our first leadership blind spot, which is, is which is I give away what I don't possess. Uh, we give away what we do not possess. And now again, discipleship and leadership is we give away who we are uh, and we can only truly give away what we're living. Uh, we like to say the state you are in is the state you give to others. What you say and do is important, but who you are is much more important. We cannot give what we do not possess. I mean, how could it really be any other way? Just just think about it. I mean, most of us, we're, uh, we're leading in contexts where we've got more to do than we have time to do it. We're in a hurry. We're battling to make the best use of each day, every moment we have, and we end up generally our days exhausted from the needs around us. And so our free time that we have uh, becomes filled with uh, more demands of an already overloaded life. And so, you know, we read about rest, we read about recharging, but it's, we, we have a phenomenally difficult time stopping ourselves. It's almost like an addiction, like getting off crack, uh, of, of acti- addiction of activity. Uh, and even our bodies are physiologically you know, so wired on adrenaline, it's, it's very different to slow down. It's very, uh, it's not uncommon for me to have a, a leader come to me uh, and say, when I first started doing Sabbath, I can't even stop because my body's so wired up and we fear of what we're missing and, you know, what's going to fall apart if I do stop, etc. So uh, just in general, it's an illusion to think that we're going to take people on a spiritual journey that we haven't taken ourselves and we can preach about it and talk about it. Uh, but we're not going to bring them there because it's like reading from a travel magazine without traveling there. When we skim on our relationship with God and ourselves, there's no program that's going to substitute for that uh, level of superficiality uh, and striving that inevitably you know follows something like this. So, uh, you know, I easily fall into the trap. I know it well of thinking my experience, my gifts, my personality, my talents, my 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 knowledge is going to cover up inner turmoil in my soul. And I just f- easily forget that I'm giving away who I am and who I am on the inside matters a lot more than what I say. And, you know, as Jerry and I were talking just even this morning about uh, you know, some of the mentoring relationships we're involved with uh, on a personal level with young leaders and pastors around the country. And, and you know, Jerry said it well. She goes, I, I think the core issue is they, they know so much in their heads but it's not in their hearts or in their experience. And, uh, you know, we're around so many people who are excellent communicators, preachers, speakers, uh, clever, great one-liners, but it doesn't mean it's experientially in them, in their hearts. It's like reading books quickly, uh, because I gotta, we need to get sermon material and gather materials and we go through books very fast. But we don't let the books read us. We don't, uh, we're just reading them for sermon illustrations and ideas. And they're not changing us. 
and they're not getting inside of us into our experience. We're not we're not reflecting on what we're reading. Uh, it's not a lectio experience. Now, I'm not saying we don't read uh, books quickly sometimes. The problem is so many of us we read all the books we read are quick. And so really very, very little is getting in there. And there are books that are really meant to be read very slowly and prayerfully uh, and almost like an electio divina way. So I think, I think the, you know, one of the most powerful examples I know of a person who was more active than her inner life could sustain uh, is the story of Saul, the first king of Israel. And uh, it's, a, it's a long story given in the book of 1 Samuel. Uh, and I think it's a very instructive one for us today because Saul was a gifted leader uh, militarily. He was anointed. He prophesied. He was accomplished. He led God's people to victories. He built a very commanding uh, institution. But as we observe his life over time, uh, he does not, he, he's trying to give away what he's not possessing as a leader of God's people. He doesn't pay attention to his interior life, uh, his thoughts, feelings, and motives. He doesn't slow down to listen to God, monitor his own heart. Uh, we don't see him in silence and scripture and getting wise counsel. Uh, we don't see him like David at all, writing Psalms, uh, getting into, you know, panting after God like a deer pants for water. And he ends up in a self-deception over time. Uh, and he somehow thinks that religious activity, because he's doing things for God, is going to equal, is equaling spiritual maturity. And when he finally gets confronted by Samuel in First Samuel 15, when Samuel says to him, the prophet, to obey is better than sacrifice, to listen is better than the fat of rams, he can't even hear it. Uh, he, he's actually so concerned about what people think. He's building a monument to himself uh, in that passage, but he's not even aware he's concerned about how he looks. Uh, it's like he builds this monument to himself in passing. Uh, and uh, his act, he's so active for God. He's so, he's so do, giving things, he's, he's giving things away he doesn't possess that it leads to a disaster. Um, but it looks good on the surface and uh, it results in a very slow, tragic spiritual decline. And, and we, we see it comes out and then he begins to get jealous of David as David's emerging. He forgets doing succession. Uh, he wants to kill David and uh, ends up you know, many, many decades later. He leads for 42 years, a very long leadership run. But by the end, uh, as you know, he's he's playing with witchcraft. He is just in a really bad place. But it didn't happen overnight. It happened very slowly over time. But I can I can relate to the temptations uh, that confronted Saul because uh, it was it was so much in my lifestyle in my early years, pre emotionally healthy discipleship, where I, I was trying to give away what I didn't possess. I uh, I was trying to bring people to places which I didn't have time to actually go myself, and I was just so busy and overloaded. I had so much to do. We were planting churches trying to grow our church quickly. I didn't have a lot of time. I had very little time, actually, for reflection and silence and stillness outside of sermon preparation. And uh, my, I was learning a lot uh, about God and uh, about leadership, but it wasn't translating into greater warmth and love for people uh, around me. They didn't feel it. And I, did, I didn't reflect very often on my failures uh, my weaknesses, my vulnerabilities, I was just, I just had to move on because I was carrying so much responsibility. We had a vision and we had goals and, and I avoided difficult conversations. Uh, I was impatient with people around me, especially their slowness in their journey with Jesus that was different than mine. I wanted them to get on with the program. 
And I measured success very, you know, very simply by numerical growth and uh, impact. And there's more I could go on, but but I want to encourage you just right now to relax wherever you are. You know, some of you listening to me are, are 20, 22 years old. Many of you are in your you know mid to late 20s and 30s, and some 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s. And just relax, okay? You're not behind. Uh, you're on time. You're right where you need to be in God. But but to cultivate uh, a life where you're giving what you do possess means I've got to you got to carve out intentional time and focus time. I'm talking about silence, prayer, meditation on Scripture, and somehow uh, these endless voices that call us away from being and especially sitting at the feet of Jesus. Um, we'll talk about it a little bit later. How do we how do we do this? How do how do I uh, slow those voices down and, and move away from that to a place where I'm sitting at the feet of Jesus but and provide godly leadership. But we've got to see the illusion and pretense of trying to give away what we don't possess is never going to work. Uh, it's not going to change people, and we'll just keep repeating the same old uh, problems and scandals in our churches among leaders that's gone on for, for generations. In fact, one of the in church history... Uh, one of the seven deadly sins that was talked about a lot was called sloth, S-L-O-T-H. And sloth is not referring to laziness, but actually the, the busyness as well, uh, biz, being busy with the wrong things, uh, which is to say that we can choose to be overly active uh, and avoid the effort required to have a life of prayer uh, and solitude with God. It was a famous, famous theme of C.S. Lewis that only lazy people work hard. Uh, in other words, I'm busy because I'm lazy. Uh, and it's, it's easier to let other people decide what we're going to do with our time instead of actually deciding ourselves. And we, in a sense, lazily abdicate uh, that hard work of deciding and directing and establishing values and setting goals. And uh, we just let other people do it for us. Uh, and that's why this is just in, 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 the, the deadly sin. It's a deadly sin of, of sloth and laziness. And, you know, my work, you know, it's, it's, it's one of my primary works each day, uh, each season of my life. I know it's, it's so true for me, but I, I see it in the, in the younger pastors I'm working with uh, everywhere. I almost wish there was a novitiate. Uh, this is different than an internship, but like a novitiate for uh, young leaders in their you know, 20s and 30s especially, almost like a monastery where the priority of your work is your being, your formation in Jesus, not your doing. Uh, and I had someone say to me just yesterday, but and I, she was a, she's a new pastor, young, uh, starting, you know, in a sense, you know, launching out now with a lot of demands on her time and, uh, and said to me, the demands I have are incredible, Pete. I said, yes, but if you don't, somehow carve out the time you need to mature and grow in formation yourself, uh, your ministry is going to be very limited long-term. And you're letting the demands and short-term needs around you shortcut and actually limit what God wants to do in and through you over the next 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years. You know, Jesus moved very slowly, didn't strive, didn't rush. He patiently waited through his adolescent years, his young adult years, until he revealed himself as the Messiah. And even then, he didn't rush to be recognized. He waited patiently for his father's timing during his short ministry. And uh, But for some reason, we hate the word slow, and God seems to delight in the word slow. I remember going to a, a wise mentor of mine when I was in my early 30s, and I, I shared with him my frustration of how much, how much weight I was carrying uh, as a young pastor at that point. 
And I remember he said to me, he says, Pete, you think the, the, the struggle of so much to do and too little time and needs is going to go down as you get older? He goes, are you kidding me? He says, if you're faithful to Jesus, uh, you're going to mature and grow. Uh, and you're going to have greater demands on you as you grow older. And uh, at the time, I was like, no, 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 it's going to be easier. And now that I'm older and I think about, you know, it's still it's still my number one challenge is to create a boundary and to put being with Jesus and being with myself first, cultivating my inner life with him out of which I lead and serve other people. Uh, and I think I was on InterVarsity staff for three years. I was associate pastor for a year in a Spanish church. I had you know, lead pastor and church planter 26 years and now another six years of, you know, post that, you know, pastoring and uh, and yet still my greatest challenge is to allow God to continue to transform me, to position myself, to lead out of a deep place of being. Uh, and why is that? Because it, it, we're in constant transition and, and God's moving. God's pouring out new wine, creating new wineskin. And so transition in the sense of your, in your life is the norm. And so then the old, the challenge always will be listening and being with God. So I, I, you know, being with God and making sure I've got enough time with Him to sustain what I'm doing for Him. I, it's interesting. I I always go back to the Desert Fathers, those first uh, men and women who lived in the desert of the Middle East and Syria and Palestine and Egypt, third, fourth, and fifth centuries, who basically uh, by the thousands they went to the into to, uh, you know the desert to be with God and. And if you read their writings, they're so powerful. They're so, you know, un-Western, uh, un-American for sure. They just had no patience for activism, uh, even godly activity that was not nourished by a rich interior life with God. And they repeatedly warned about being engaged in activity for God before the time is ripe. And these great warnings. And I, I, I'm going to give you, I'm just going to read you a couple of sayings of the Desert Fathers that are so helpful and uh you know, one of the Desert Fathers saying goes like this, a brother came to see Abba Theodore and spent three days begging for him to say a word to him, but he, he, he'd not get any reply. So he went away grieved. And then someone asked the old man, Abba Theodore, why did you not say a word to him? See, he has gone away grieved. And the old man said, I did not speak to him for he is a trafficker who seeks to glorify himself through the words of others. In other words, the fellow came to him and wanted to hear you know, a profound word, but actually he wasn't looking for himself to be changed and transformed and shaped. It was actually, he just wanted to learn some stuff so he could go and tell it to other people and, and look wise. Uh, and another, here's another story about a brother who came to Abba Theodore, his desert father, and began to converse with him about things which he, has, which he had never yet put into practice. So he's having a conversation, talking about things he's not doing. And the old man says to him, you, you have not yet found a ship to sail in, and you've not put your luggage on board. You haven't even gone out to sea, and you think you've already arrived at the city. Do the work first, then you will have the speed that you want to make it there. And, uh, and then my final story, which I love, is, you know, Abba Anthony was asked by the Emperor Constantine to go to Constantinople, and he wondered if he should go, and a, and a wise man said to him, if you go, you'll be called Anthony, but if you stay here, you'll be called Abba Anthony. In other words, he declined the invitation to go to minister to the king because it would have pulled him away from God in the desert. And he was called to grow into a father of the faith and uh, who would then have an impact. But he, but he, if he had abandoned the desert and the lifestyle of slowing down for union with God, 
uh, he would never have grown into an Abba. And so he needed to be very careful to discern a delicate balance between being with the Father and active ministry. And at that time, it wasn't time. And God has different callings for all of us. And uh, in terms of balancing our activity of being with God and, and activity for him. So if, you, if you've never read the sayings of the Desert Fathers, Benedict Award has a great, uh, one of the authors that's done the translation, pick that up. Uh, meditate on it quite slowly. It's worth it. Bernard of Clairvaux is another great favorite of mine, an 11th century, uh, 12th century abbot of the Cistercian Monastery in France and probably the greatest Christian leader of his day. And When one of his sons, Eugene III, became pope in the 12th century, he was so concerned about Eugene III, who was, again, he was one of his monks in the monastery because this this Eugene III did not have the interior life he felt to, to, to handle the demands and the responsibility that went on, on him as a, as a pope. And so he was grieved for him. And he wrote him a book called Five Books on Consideration, Advice to a Pope by Bernard. And I just picked it off my shelf here. And I want to just read you a couple of things he says to uh, understand Bernard of Clairvaux at this point is an older man, you know, quite wise. His young, you know, disciple is now carrying Western Christianity on his shoulders and uh, he says to him, if you allow yourself to be distracted by all this work, little by little, uh, you will go where you, don't, where you do not want to go. Because where is that? To a hard heart. Do not go on to ask, what is a hard heart? Because if you've, if you've not been terrified by it, he writes, it is yours already. And then he says, a, a heart which neither fears God nor, res nor respects man. Uh, this is indeed the state to which these cursed demands can bring on you. If you continue, and he calls the demands of the ministry cursed because he says, if you devote yourself totally to them, it leaves no time or energy for yourself and you're wasting time foolishly on these things, which are nothing but a spiritual affliction, a mental drain and a squandering of grace. And he basically calls him to uh, really engage in spiritual practices on his interior life and not to get swept up uh, in all this activity and demands that are that are on him. That's why I, I have seen, I know it was in my own experience as well uh, over the years, but sabbaticals uh, for a lengthy sabbatical, I'm not talking about just like a, a two-week or three-week vacation, uh, which I would call, consider a mini sabbatical. That's just, you know, f even two, three, four, five weeks in light of what you're carrying of a vacation or, again, a shortened sabbatical. That's that's survival uh, on, a, on an annual basis. But I firmly believe that for those of you carrying leadership over the long term, sabbaticals for like three to four months are indispensable uh, because the pulling away from doing an activity uh, for God for that time to, to actually be and allow God to work on your inner life, nourishing that, uh, changes you. I, I, I got some names I just wrote down there. People I know have done it and the, the change when they come back do uh, you understand, if you can be a flourishing human being following Jesus and a leader and you're giving out of the overflow, overflow of who you are, you are a success. That is a success. That, that is the greatest success you can offer those you're leading is to be the gospel, to be the message we're preaching with Jesus. We're actually leading people where we want, we're, we're saying, follow me as I follow Christ. And that's why I picked off the shelf again in preparation for this uh, podcast, The Making of a Leader by Robert Clinton. I've mentioned it earlier podcast, I don't know when, a couple of years ago, but I love his work. He was a fuller uh, professor for many, many years. 
And, you know, he broke up how God makes leaders over six phases, and he really breaks it down in quite a bit of detail. But the, 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 and he says to finish well, every leader's got to pass through six, you know, phases. But the first four phases, he writes, are primarily God working in us. We're concerned about fruitfulness through us, but God's concerned about fruitfulness in us. And uh, I'll quote you the line. He goes, Emerging leaders don't recognize and get frustrated because God is primarily working in the leader, not through them. And they're constantly evaluating productivity and activities while God is quietly evaluating their inner life. And I, I, I share that with you just for perspective. Take a deep breath. Uh, because if our life with God is not sufficient to sustain our work for God, You'll, you'll end up struggling with your integrity. Uh, it gets con- your, your work gets contaminated because what happens is our, we get our worth slowly and validation from not God's love for us, but then our work and our performance and, and that joy in Jesus just gradually dissipates. Um, and I know one of the greatest temptations I face as a leader is uh, to make sure I'm, not, I'll, I'm leading others without doing violence to my own soul. Uh, you know, who has time to enjoy Jesus and my wife and my children, even even life? I can relax and replenish later. Uh, and uh, for years, I didn't give myself the kind of extended time I needed, either alone with God or myself, unless I'd first given out a great deal and I was so depleted. And I had to be, a, I had to be strong. And, I, and eventually, I always became resentful. And Jesus' yoke felt hard and easy, you know, not Jesus' yoke felt hard and heavy, not easy and light. Uh, as he promised. That's one of my great oil lights. How's the yoke feel for you right now of what God's given you, to what's in front of you? If it's feeling heavy and hard, you know it's something's, it's not Jesus' yoke. Something's off. You could be suffering in a difficult environment, and God calls us many times to, to difficult ministries, which includes suffering. But if it's what God has for you and you're doing it his way, it doesn't cut into you. You don't bleed. Uh, it can actually feel easy and light, even though it looks like you're carrying a great deal. And that's why one of the greatest challenges for us as leaders is to manage ourselves. And, you know, how can I be in communion with other people if I'm not in communion with myself? And, uh, you know, how can I be close to you if I'm not close to myself? And Jesus, to me, modeled healthy self-care while he's serving other people. I mean, talk about having the world on his shoulders, but we observe him, you know, resting and enjoying others. Uh, in fact, he allowed that woman with an alabaster jar of perfume to spend a year's wages on him. Uh, very few of us can see ourselves as that value. But I think one of the most alarming trends I am running into are leaders who are not spending significant, meaningful time with Jesus. Preparing messages, yes. Preparing worship sets, yes. Uh, I was initially very surprised when I would, you know, go into people's devotional life of just, you know, spending time in Scripture, uh, to let Scripture just kind of feed your soul, letting God speak to you through the words of Scripture. Um, You know, how is that going? And getting into people's rhythms, and asking questions, I was stunned uh, to find out it was not uncommon to find leaders, how many leaders, the work and my relationship with Jesus were so tightly, were, were, were tightly bound in a way that was not healthy. And uh, I'm not surprised anymore now when I talk with people. I don't know if it's because the culture's changed a great deal. I mean, maybe it was always an issue. But the anxiety of just, you know, with technology, social media, we always feel like we're behind. It seems like it's even greater difficulty for pastors and leaders uh, to actually have a rich abiding in Jesus life. And if we're struggling with a deep inner life with God and ourselves, how much more are people? 
And, uh, you know, we do surveys now with, through the Emotional Discipleship course of what are people's rhythms like of spending time with Jesus. And it's always a shock. Um, it's, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a barometer of where the church is, but very few people in our churches actually have uh, a rich, vibrant devotional life. And, uh, and so, but I, I believe that's a reflection of leadership uh, or where our people are. So, and again, uh, unless we slow down to be good soil, uh, it's not going to be possible to, to have a seed that births 30, 60, 100 fold. And that's why Jesus said, apart from re- abiding in me, he says, we, we can't bear any fruit. We're just, we're just shuffling chairs on the Titanic. And so uh, no long-term fruit is possible. And so uh, listen, everybody, uh, if we want to change our churches and change our world, we got to let God change us first. Uh, we can only give what we do possess. We cannot give what we don't possess. Uh, it's exhausting and tiring and unsustainable to do leadership. Uh, I know the way I was taught, which was basically be overly active. Uh, and I don't know what is ne- what you need to put around you uh, to anchor your life in the love of the Father. Uh, I just know this. Uh, you know, uh, you need to craft something around you, people around you. Talk to your supervisor or your board. Give them the big picture of why you need to slow it down. So you can uh, let God build you into a mature man or woman for him. Get around the kind of people that can help you. Uh, Remember, if we skimp on our inner work, our outer life will suffer as well. Uh, This is the most loving thing you can do for the people you want to serve is to uh, focus on your inner life. Uh, Being precedes doing. Listen, may the Lord do a great work in you. May God bless you uh, because you're around a tidal wave. Uh, Stay with Jesus. Let him guide you and lead you in silence, into scripture, into Sabbath, into healthy community that's replenishing to find some people that will replenish you. Get into a place of receiving from him. Some recreating and delightful activities. Reading prayerfully and thoughtfully. Retreats, whether it's a day alone with God or each month or every other month. Whatever it's going to take to get a rule of life around you so that you're giving out of your being. Hey, it's been great to be with you, everybody. Uh, And may God help you and give you grace to give out of a deep well in Jesus. God bless everybody. Have a great day.